0: Good morning, my name is Chad Gilbert, I had the great joy of serving as the pastor here at First Baptist, and so I'm so grateful to be back in God's Word with you this morning. I want to invite you to turn in Philippians, uh, to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through um, through 30. No, you're good, I'm so thankful to work with brothers like these, brothers and sisters who lead us in worship, it is just such a joy to be able to serve with you guys, so thank you all so much. Um I remember when I was a seminary student uh, that there was a professor, his name is Dr. Robert Stewart, Bob Stewart. Um, he's still at the seminary, uh, a dear friend, and um, he shared the story. So his his specialty, his expertise is in philosophy, in theology, but, but also in apologetics. And he told the story Um, about a well-known apologist during that, that time that was going around to different college campuses. And this was one of these dudes that was really, really smart. I mean, like he was just sharp. He was quick. He was quick on his feet. Um, and so they would do the, the kind of thing where students would fill the auditorium and then they would just ask questions. And 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 there was this opportunity for them to kind of come up to the mic, if you will, and kind of challenge him and kind of debate him. And and there was just this confidence that he had that whatever they dished out, he could kind of, you know, deal with. And so um, because of, of, of this, you know, like people are going through and then a guy comes up and asks a question and, he, and he's got this, you know, he's asking questions about kind of the problem of evil and like, man, if there's a good God, why is there evil in this world? Why does, why does this good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And some of those kind of questions, maybe questions that you've asked, and in that moment, they begin to do the kind of ping pong that is apologetics at time, where, you know, you, you ask a question and then there's an answer and a question and an answer and a question and you kind of go back and forth. And the way that the guy did it was kind of this, okay, well, let me ask you this. Is it this or this? The guy says, well, it's this, okay. If it's that, then is it this or this? Well, it's this, okay. If it's that or this, then what is it? And the guy says, well, then I, I guess it's this. And he says, quite the point. And as they were leaving and the guy had decisively made his point, he had been victorious, as you will, from the stage, a young lady was walking out and was overheard saying, I don't care if the bleepity bleep was right, he's still a jerk. And there was a generation ago that was asking questions that really would be able to be answered with apologetics and with philosophy and with some clear theological precision But there's a generation, brothers and sisters, that's grown up that doesn't care if you're right, if you're a jerk. And honestly, can we just be honest in this room and say, we kind of feel that way too. That if we know somebody that even if they're right, if their way of treating others, if their character, if their pride is just all over them, I don't really care what they know. I don't care how right they are, there's something about it that just makes me want to give some distance. And so that ushers us into this reality now in this arena of proving the faith, of what is the proof then? If the right answers aren't enough to really help a generation understand the truth and what is. And I want to submit to you today that as as it's Been for the last 2,000 years, it remains the case today that the proof is in the people. The proof is in the people. It's good for us to be armed with good philosophy. It's good for us to have sound theology and doctrine. It is important for us to know precisely what the Bible teaches and then also what it teaches and warns against. But it is also very important throughout the Bible for you and I to be proof, our lives living proof that we belong to him that that we are his and that he has changed us. And so today in this passage I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19 where we're going to see two men that are put forward as an example to the church at Philippi. That this church that is so near and dear to Paul, he 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 just he just overflows with joy as he thinks about them that he wants to remind them of two individuals that they really can pattern their life after. And so hear the word of the Lord. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Again, the context there, he's in prison, so he's not free to travel in this moment. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon, so he's hopeful of his release. But I consider it necessary. Notice that Verse 19, I hope to send Timothy, but then verse 25, but I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, coworker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that now through the study, through through the work of your Holy Spirit illuminating, making clear what is in your word and also the powerful work of your Holy Spirit transforming our hearts and our minds in conformity to your word so that we are conformed to the image of Christ because we know when we are, that is what brings glory to you, the Father, because you delight in your son. So Lord, may we reflect his image clearly. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. People as proof, people as proof. That that is what's so important for you and I to understand is that of all the proofs that we could put forward in this world today, and especially as you and I ought to be concerned about a younger generation. I'm so thankful for our student ministry here at First Baptist New Orleans But can I be honest, it's not big enough. And you say, Chad, do you mean like not big enough that you just want more numbers, you wanna see us be a bigger church? No, there are so many students in our city in need of the investment that I see being made through adults like you into our students. Adults who are giving of their time. They're saying, you know what, I'm gonna give up being in a Bible study group in order to then go and pour into students. I'm so thankful. If you're serving in our student ministry, thank you. But there are so many students in our city that do not have that sort of investment from a godly adult. They don't have anyone looking at them and encouraging them to walk in the way. And so we need to be those who go out into our city and bring those students in so that they can come into an environment where they are poured into, where they are loved. And I love the fruit of your work that I see in this church. As I've been able to meet different folks that you have loved on in this city and now are young adults. I'm so encouraged by the testimony of a young man named Danny that you loved and poured your lives into and, and showed him the love of Christ in our city. He then moved away, and then when he came back on his very first Sunday back here at, at, at First Baptist New Orleans, he brought a 41-year-old employee. He's 18 or 19. He brought a coworker from his workplace with him to come to church. And she sat in awe. She said, you know, I'm really amazed at a young man like him, that he's taking this stuff seriously. He's taking this stuff seriously, his faith. And so I figure, I gotta go to church. And so she was here with him. I love that testimony of what you've been doing. Keep going. But brothers and sisters, that's what we're after, is young men like Danny, who are the future for this city. Young men like Danny who, if God wills, will give him a wife and children that he will be a godly dad for. If God wills it, that that Danny would be a future leader in this church. And who knows, he might be a future leader in this church even on staff that if God were to set him apart in that way. Brothers and sisters, please see the vision for the importance of a student ministry and pouring into them. And so why do I emphasize that? Because Timothy was young. We don't know exactly how old he was. We don't know if he was in youth ministry when Paul met him on his first missionary journey. But we do know this, that Paul had to encourage him that because even though he was young, don't let people look down on you. That's what he writes to him in his letters in First and Second Timothy is to encourage him to keep going. And Paul recognized that like a father with a son, he needed to make an investment in this person. And so Timothy was now proof. But you know what? That proof didn't stop with Timothy. It wasn't limited. We then meet Epaphroditus. And it's important for us to note that Epaphroditus has been sent by the church at Philippi, the context, to go and to bring a financial gift. We see that being kind of mentioned at the end of Philippians in Philippians chapter 4. So the church at Philippi has known of Paul's need. They have sent, sent Epaphroditus to bring the financial gift. And then once he gets there, he gets sick. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever been on a mission trip and you get sick, it's the worst experience ever. When I was in Burkina Faso as a summer missionary and I served all summer, I lost 21 pounds in, in, in eight weeks because of the amount of sickness I had. It was horrible. And if anything, I felt like a liability, not, not an asset to the team that I was on. I felt like a constant liability And you can kind of get the sense from reading this letter that Epaphroditus is that same way. He showed up hoping to be this this asset, but then he feels like a liability. But Paul says, no, he was not a liability. In fact, notice the language he uses. He says, my fellow soldier. Well, I mean, that's that kind of posture that makes you stand up straight. This is my fellow soldier. This is my co laborer This is my brother, not a liability. He was an asset in every way. To the work, but I consider it necessary to send him back to you. And Paul is putting these two men, Timothy, who he hopes to send, Epaphroditus, who is sending, and he says these are two men worthy of your deepest honor. And so, what can we learn from a passage like this? From this reality that God has changed these two men, He's given them an orientation in life. Their life is now about the mission of Christ. What can you and I today learn when we read through letters like this that seem so specific? so specific to individuals that lived thousands of years ago, so specific to the context of them going to the church at Philippi. What does that have to do with us in in 2023 at First Baptist New Orleans in New Orleans? Well, let's look and see this. Proof that in Christ, we are family. That's what God wants to demonstrate through us today. That's what he was demonstrating then, and that's what he's wanting to demonstrate today. That, That the proof is in the people And it's proof that in Christ you and I have become family. Notice it in the passage, verse 23. He says, Therefore, I hope to send him Timothy as soon as I see things. Nope, that's the wrong verse. Um, Verse 22 But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry. How? Like a son with a father like a son with a father, and then you turn over to First and Second Timothy, and you witness the depth of his love for someone that's not his biological kid. I mean, it is this beautiful love for another. It's a beautiful love for someone who is different from him, not from the same place, didn't have all the same things in common. Timothy's from a, a town far away from where Paul grew up, and yet, Christ had brought them together in such a deep familial relationship that he likens it to a son being with his dad. And can I tell you, every son longs for that sort of relationship with their father. That's the familial relationship that we see. But then you go down to verse 25 and it says, but I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my brother. And, and, and that's not just, you know, brother from another mother kind of language. that. That's speaking specifically about this family bond that they share. That's so, so important for you and I to get because there is a whole generation looking for proof that this gospel actually changes people. And so when they come to a church like this, they want to see proof that we are family. They want to witness that. On this weekend, as we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow, I hope that that will be a time for you remembering the importance of racial reconciliation uh, for the work that still stands to be done. But brothers and sisters, as the people of God, there ought to be beautiful clarity on this reality that we are one in Christ. I commend you. I would set you forth as an example to other congregations of what it means to live in harmony with one another, and that including racial distinction, ethnic distinction, this is a house of prayer for all nations. And I love the beautiful diversity here, but don't miss it. There is a generation asking very precise race questions right now. They've been asking them intensely for the last couple of years. And rather than getting in a posture of defensiveness, of, hey, don't, don't call me a racist, show them that you're not. Show them that you're not through your love for one another. Show them that you're not through who eats at your table. Show them that you're not of who your kids are friends with. Show them that you're not. Don't get defensive and tell them you're not. Show them that we're not. We are family. And praise be to God for what he has created. I love that there are people not only of different skin color, but from different nations in this place, and they consider this family. They know that they're welcome here. They know that this is a family for them. Brothers and sisters, it's important for us to acknowledge that as we head into another political cycle, Lord be with our nation during another political cycle. But it's important for us to realize that within this family, that is not the dividing line. We don't stand on red and blue lines. We stand under the cross. That's what unites us, that's what unifies us, and that is what will be our peace as we go through another political cycle. So it's important for us to not allow things that often can even separate biological families to be a dividing wall within the family of God. We must stand as family. That's important. That's the proof. The son like a father, my brother, the gospel has changed these men. People is proof, proof that in Christ, we are changed. Look how Paul talks about Timothy in this passage. He talks about that, for I have no one else like-minded who genuinely cares about your interests. It, why is that so significant? Verse 21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, left to our own devices, we are all prideful. And that pride usually manifests in one of two ways. You are either convinced of how great you are or you're convinced how terrible and unworthy you are. But it's still a fixation on self. One is the posture of, I know I'm great, and I think everybody else does too. The other is, boy, I know I'm nothing, and everybody else knows it too. But notice the common denominator, I. It's all about me. It's all about me. Paul says, but Timothy's different than that. Rather than coming in and he's just thinking about himself, He's just thinking, well, if I help in this way, then that makes me look good. He's actually thinking about their interests, what what it is that they need, and often doing the hard thing. I love the story of Cheryl Batchelder. She became the CEO of Popeye's Chicken during its big turnaround. It had gone down, The, the franchise owners were just despising the fact that they had bought into the franchise and all this. But when she came in, she, went, she entered after having her own downfall in a position as a, as, a, um, as a corporate CEO to then come to this place through her faith of realizing that what she needed to do was to serve the franchisees. The, the, the franchise owners of the, of the Popeye's chain, she realized she needed to come in with the attitude that she was to serve them. She even wrote a book called Dare to Serve, And her philosophy completely switched. What was in the best interest of the franchise owner? What was in the best interest of of what it meant for their employees to be served? What was in the best interest of of helping them to feel supported and to be able to have the resources they need to invest in them? And she knew that that was gonna meant a cut into the, the bottom line for the upper part of the management for herself as a CEO and the others in the corporate headquarters, all those things, but she was convinced that that's what needed to happen. Over the next several years, they saw a 20% gain in their, in their profit, as far as a corporation, year over year over year, which is incredible when you look at restaurants, to, to have that sort of, a, of an increase of, of, of profitability. And it was all because she dared to serve. It was all because she switched, because of her faith, Her mindset on what it meant to be involved in corporate America. Her faith was at work. And brothers and sisters, if our faith is supposed to be at work at work, then certainly it's to be at work right here. And one of the things that she noted, and we need to kind of tap into this, is one of the things that she realized is that she wasn't serving an employee by just allowing bad behavior to continue. She she realized that by just like trying to work around it or create a system around a bad employee or a bad franchise owner or something like that, she wasn't actually serving them by not confronting the issues. That, That the deeper way of service was to say, hey, this isn't acceptable. This is not our standard. Here at Popeye's, these are our values. You're not in accordance with our values. And sometimes that meant that someone had to be helped to see that they were not going in the same direction as the franchise and that they needed to go a different direction. And that she wished them well, but that was how she needed to serve them. Brothers and sisters, there's a template that we have in scripture that is the same and that's where she pulled it from. She began to take seriously the word that talks about our need to love one another deeply, that includes not allowing sin to remain. When is the last time in love that you or I went gently in humility to someone else that we knew was persisting in sin, whether that sin was gossip, whether that sin was was, um, sexual immorality, whether that sin was greed, whether that sin was, you know, arrogance, whatever that sin is, but because of the proximity we share, you're seeing it. But then you think that the best thing you can do is just to stay quiet. I encourage you, that's not what's meant here. That's not why Timothy was so discouraged because sometimes when you do that, people say, who asked you? Who asked you? Timothy knew he had a responsibility to serve them and part of that meant that looking out for their own interest, looking out what was best for them was ultimately looking out for what would reflect Christ the most in them. You see, he says this, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a people pleaser. He didn't just go into the church and say, what do y'all wanna do? Tell me where you want me to take you and I'll take you there. No, he didn't walk in and just try to please the congregation, He was of most; he, his greatest concern was for the interest of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is concerned about you, church. He's concerned about your purity. He's concerned about your faithfulness to him. He's concerned about idolatry in this church. He's concerned about adopting philosophies from this world as your primary modus operandum, how you operate, how you live life, more than his word. Jesus Christ is concerned that you won't be ready the day he comes. And what he wants to do is to wash you with the water of his word to make you radiant and ready for that day. Church, we must be scripture fed if we're to understand what the interests are of Jesus Christ. What is it that he's interested in? What is it that concerns him? What's a value to Jesus? And then to orient our lives in that way. People is proof, proof that in Christ we're family, proof that in Christ we are changed. Our our interests are no longer self-interest. We're interested in what is best for Jesus Christ. And he's made clear that's a love for one another. But, But people is proof, proof that in Christ we are missional. Notice how these two men, their lives became oriented to a different mission. It was no longer about living for the dollar. There's a popular song today where the song begins with the young man saying, you know, that I've been living to to chase a dollar. And then this old man tells him to buy dirt. You know, anybody know this song? Buy dirt, you uh, you know, drop to one knee, put a ring on the finger of the girl you love, and all that kind of stuff. And then he says this. Throw a, little plate, throw a little money in the plate at church. That's what he says. Part of the song, throw a little money in the plate at church. Brothers and sisters, that ain't missional. That's not what we're called to do. I appreciated the story last night that Tim Tebow at a pro-life gala that was here in town that I attended last night, the story that he shared of a young man who sat down in the plane and he was in first class and... The seat beside him was empty, and then in comes Mother Teresa, literally Mother Teresa. She's traveling from India and going back, uh, you know, going to visit different places and just trying to highlight the ministry and to resource the work of the ministry. And she sits down, and he's just blown away. I'm sitting beside Mother Teresa. Like literally, I'm sitting beside her. And so he begins to talk to her and ask her about what really drives her work. And during the time, he went from just kind of respecting her from a distance and all that to really being bought in of saying, wow, I need to do something. And so he reaches into his checkbook, into his pocket, and he pulls out his checkbook. So this is how you know the story's old. Um, and so, and he pulls it out and he writes a check for $200,000. Sitting right beside her and he hands it to her. And she says, wow, I... This is going to help so many people." And he said, hey, it's, it's no sweat. And then her face fell. She looks down and, and she folds the check in half and she hands it back to him. He says, is something wrong? And she said, if it doesn't hurt, don't give it. So he reaches in and he pulls out his checkbook. He writes another check, $1.2 million. And he looks at her and he says, now that hurt. <laughs> It's that idea that you and I, we wanna settle for just throw a little change in the plate at church. And that's what it means to live on mission. Brothers and sisters, look in the scriptures at what their lives look like. Now, verse 19, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Timothy is allowing his life to be spent for the mission of Christ to be sent. I mean, just think about the tentative nature of that. That Timothy was always, needing to be ready to go at any moment, but also content to stay because Paul, who is you know, the apostle to the church, is, is helping to position people. And so there's times where he, he wants Timothy to stay and to put things in order. So he's gonna have to camp out and be content to stay, but at any moment, he needs to be ready to go. Can I tell you, that's how we're to live our lives, ready to go wherever God would call us to go, but content to stay right here for as long as God would have us. And can I tell you, we're always kind of on one side or the other. Some of you right now, because of the crime in our city, you're ready to go. It's like, I am on go. I cannot wait until I reach whatever that, that, that marker is. Maybe it's a, it's a benchmark in your career. Maybe it's the, the last kid is out of the nest. I mean, whatever it is, you're like, and we are out the door. Brothers and sisters, don't let the, the momentary situations that you go through whether it's the difficulty in the city you live or, or whatever, to be what drives where you go in this life. You belong to the Lord. And so you go where he says go. And you stay there, content to stay, until he says go again. That's how we're to live, ready to go, content to stay. That was Timothy's life. Verse 25, but I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, coworker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my name. We don't know what Epaphroditus had going home back home, but he left it all for the sake of the mission. He was willing, like this couple that Nate shared about a few moments ago, to go and to live in a foreign place, to speak a foreign language, to raise their children in a foreign land, all for the sake of the gospel, for the message and for the ministry of the word. Let us follow their example. And in verse 30, because he came close to death for the work of Christ close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Brothers and sisters, this work of the gospel is worth my life and your life. It's worth our lives. It's worth our lives to be committed enough to to giving it all, to leaving it all on the field, as they say, to be all in and serving Christ. And then finally, people is proof, proof that in Christ, We are servant-led. That's how Jesus has determined for his church to be led. He holds out Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says, these are exemplar men that you can pattern your life after. He's opened up Philippians by, by communicating that he and Timothy, they're servants. They're bond servants. They're slaves to Jesus Christ. And he addresses it to the church at Philippi and he says, and to the overseers and deacons. Why does he identify overseers and deacons? Because this is is the leadership group. This is the group. And that word overseer could be used synonymously with a word like pastor. So pastors and deacons are the the two offices of leadership. But then when he digs in a little deeper and he holds out these, these two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, without having to call them deacons to the church, he says, these are the servant kind of leaders that we should have. These servant leaders should be the ones who are setting the pace to show that we are family. These servant leaders ought to be the ones who are clearly demonstrating that we are changed, their character being exemplar, their character being in accordance with 1 Timothy chapter three. And these group of leaders, these pastors and deacons ought to demonstrate that we are on a mission, a mission to make disciples of all nations, a mission to love one another deeply, a mission to love our neighbor as ourself. And that in that, in that sort of a servant-led context, you, the church, will thrive. Our, our second core conviction as a church is this. In order for us to be a biblically thriving church, we must be servant-led. And so this morning, part of our worship today is to acknowledge those whom God has set apart for the work of serving in that capacity. I'm gonna invite those that are being ordained this morning to come and to get into their positions. And we have an incredible group of deacons. They and their wives and their children serve faithfully in this context. And I'm gonna invite Dave Fur to come and join me during this time as well. There he is. Dave is now serving as our chairman of the deacons, and I'm so grateful for his leadership in our church. I'm so thankful also for David Purvis. David, are you here? There was a chance that he would be here and a chance that he may not. But I want to recognize David Purvis this morning as well, who has served over the last year as our chairman of the deacons, giving excellent leadership to this group of, of servants, but also excellent service to you. He loves you and he has served well. And so I am so thankful to be serving with Dave this year um, as our as our chairman. And so what I'm going to do is walk down this row and introduce each of these families to you. And uh, just a little thing about me, it, up in front, I can know somebody, I, I would forget, the name of my own sister in front of you. So I'm gonna use a cheat sheet because it's just one of those things about trying to recall names in front of people that I've learned not to do. So I'm gonna introduce to you guys Quincy Brown, um, his wife, Rebecca, and their two children, Caroline and Wesley. Um, that are coming to serve as uh, one of our deacons. And this morning is the time that we ordain them. We're gonna lay hands on them in just a moment. Um, those that are currently serving our church as deacons are gonna come up representative of the whole body and gather around them and lay hands. And so I'm so thankful for your family. You guys um, have had such a huge part in our children's ministry, um, in our teaching ministry. Um, Quincy is one of our Bible study leaders. And so, so, so grateful for you guys and your family. Next, we have Tommy and Gretchen, Dowdy? Say it right or Dodie? Dodie. I, I, I doubted that I got it right. Um, so the, the Dodies, um, I'm so thankful for their ministry in our city. Um, the Lord is, uh, you know, they're like so many couples that come here for an educational program. Uh, they came here to study at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And then just in the course of time, God opened the door for them to be able to stay here and to be able to be in our city. And so we're so grateful for their ministry and thankful for your worship leadership on a regular basis. So, so grateful for both of you. Next, we have Felton and Brandy, Joseph and their children, Miss Emma and David, and they have one more son that's in our youth group. His name is Benjamin, um, but he is not uh, here this morning, but we are so grateful for this family. Um, the Lord brought them here. You guys, uh, you know, I think I heard an amen out of you when it was that ready to go, content to stay. Um, Felton serves our nation on multiple levels, uh, serving in, our, in the Navy, but also serving um, in the Secret Service. And so, so grateful for your service to our nation, um, as well as your service to this church. I have seen in them, listen, you watch their family, and I, and I always say this cautiously, right? You know, like you don't wanna puff up anybody too much. But, but listen, the way that they love as family, like not just their family, but love you as family, is exemplar. And I love that that passage comes to life when you look at this group, but I've really loved that about you guys, how you love one another deeply. So very thankful for your family. Next we have the Schafers, And so we've got Chris and Vanessa Schaefer, and Thaddeus, Mr. Thaddeus, and Miss Adeline, sweet girl. And so again, another couple that came here to the city uh, for one purpose in, in order to pursue theological education. And then Chris, how long have you been here now? 13 years. And so the Lord has opened a door for him to also be on faculty and also administration over at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So grateful for him. And one of the things I love to do most with him is to go to a Mardi Gras parade. So if you, if you ever are needing to know the spots, you know, and Thaddeus knows the routine. That's right. So, so grateful for your family. So thankful for your heart for missions. Uh, their whole family was present yesterday for Missions 101 um, because that's who they are. They live their lives on mission and they, they desire to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Vanessa served as a journeyman uh, with the IMB for two years in Central Asia, and so grateful for her ministry um, and her heart for the nations, and so, wonderful couple. Next, we've got Andrew and Zoe Wilson and baby Emmett, so thankful for him. Um, He is taking it all in today. This is a big day for Mr. Emmett. Hey, man. So, I got a smile, yes. So, usually the hairless guy does not get a smile. Um, so, so grateful for them. Um, Andrew right now is working on a doctorate over at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in the area of preaching. And so, uh, you know, it could be another one of those stories of like, who knows how long you'll be here. But um, they met here, married here, and have welcomed their first son in New Orleans. And listen, this one that that happened to, it gets in your blood, okay? So you may be here for longer than you think and, and, and with joy uh, to be in the city. So, so grateful for your family. And then last but certainly not least is Pete and Rochelle Zahner and Kailani. Uh, We're so grateful for this family. Again, another service to our nation serving in the the Coast Guard. And uh, so grateful for your ministry here in our city. Um, Rochelle has been on staff here at First Baptist and so grateful for her. Is that me? That's like real crackly. So sorry if I am. Rochelle serving as our preschool ministry director now, working with Nicole Bandy um, and them being co-laborers in working with our children. Um, Kailani, a gift to our church and such a, a sweet friend as well. So grateful for you. I see you and Miss Emma and Livy and others together all the time. So really thankful for your family. So this is our, our incoming class of deacons. And so what I'm gonna do at this time is um, I'm gonna invite for um, all of our current deacons, if you will come up, um, I invite you to come up at this time, and we could, as a whole church come up here, but I'm just going to ask for your deacons to do that right now because I want you to see who they are. I um, just that quick visual reminder. Yeah, thank you, Steve. That's right. And what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna gather around them, lay our hands on them. And one of the things, the patterns that we see in scripture are these moments when God is setting someone apart for a specific task within the life of the church, um, for there to be a time where we just lay hands on them and acknowledge and ask for God's filling of his Holy Spirit, that they would be empowered by his Spirit to do the work of ministry. And so First Baptist, know that you have an incredible core of servant leaders that are serving you, that love you, that are praying for you, that are caring for the most vulnerable among you, those that can't be with us on a regular basis, this group is caring for and being sure that they're loved and visited and and served. And then even behind the scenes on a weekly basis, doing projects around this building so that when you show up on a Sunday, you don't have to worry about those things. Those things have been done so that we can gather and be able to worship. So thank you, brothers, for serving. Um, Let's pray together now over this new incoming class of deacons. Father, we are so grateful um, for the joy it is to be able to serve you. Thank you that you ordained that in the church there would be servant leaders, and that's how you intend your church to thrive. Not just survive, but to thrive biblically is when we have servant leaders. So, God, I pray for this incoming class of six families, God, that we'll be serving together. Thank you for the beauty, the diversity the joy of of their different life experiences and how that will enrich this family of faith in every way. Lord, I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit in this moment, that their service would not be done in their own power or their own wisdom, but in yours. So please God, fill them fresh to serve and to be poured out as a drink offering before you in service to the church. May they be found exemplar in, in proving that we're a family in the way that they love this church. May they be exemplar in the way of of proving that we have been changed by the power of the gospel. And Father, may they be proof that we have been called to a mission, a mission to make disciples of all nations. So Lord, I pray that over these six that are coming in, but also Father, the entire body of deacons, God, that they would be the proof that we're family, that we've been changed and that we are on a mission. And so Lord, thank you for their service. Thank you for the joy it is to learn from them, to have my life shaped by their lives. Father, would you do all these things in such a way that only you receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Join me again in thanking them. And David Purvis, thank you for your service. As our former chairman. And this time I'm gonna invite everyone to stand and we're gonna sing a song of worship together. But I'll be standing right here. If you're here today, and there's never been a moment in your life where your life has been changed by the power of the gospel, and you wanna know what it means to know Jesus, then I invite you in this moment, come forward. Feel the freedom to leave your seat and come forward in this moment so that I can share with you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's sing